last service, I just about spilt my cup of water into this outlet on the floor. So I'm going to be very careful not to start a fire, electrocute myself. Good morning. Welcome to Hiawatha Church. My name is Spencer. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, especially if you're a, a visitor or today's your first Sunday, welcome. We're very glad you're here this morning. I know that you had another choice. You could be uh, freezing in the woods right now, wearing some orange, looking for a deer, but you chose to be here with us. So, so thank you for that. Um, like I said, my name is Spencer. I'm one of the pastors here. I, I preach about once a month, so you maybe have not seen me too much around. Um, so just a quick introduction with myself. Uh, I am married to Amy, my best friend of, of a decade. We've been married for six years. We live in South Minneapolis, uh, just a few miles from here. And right now, my, my joy of my life is my son, uh, Charlie. He's, he's eight months old, and he is fantastic. He just learned how to crawl, so he is all over the house, into everything, chewing on cords. So it is, we are, we are on our feet right now. Um, what's really great, we absolutely love being parents. One of the hardest things we've ever done, but one of the greatest as well. So we're, so, yeah, so uh, that's, that's a little bit about myself. Um, if you are brand new to Hiawatha, we have been for the past few months in a study in the book of Matthew. The Bible is broken up into two books, the New Testament and the Old Testament, and Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. Uh, Matthew was a disciple of Jesus, and so he wrote his, his eyewitness account of, of what he saw of Jesus' life, teaching, miracles, death, and resurrection and ascension. And we're in a part in Matthew right now where Jesus has been speaking in parables. And parables are short word pictures that Jesus uses that describe and teach truths about the kingdom of heaven. And we've been in a section about uh, where Jesus has been uh, teaching in parables for about a month now. So we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about what parables are and, and the point of parables. It's a really great question to ask why is Jesus speaking in parables. And uh, Chris preached on that a few weeks ago. So you can check that out, or you can just read uh, a few verses earlier before today's passage, and Jesus explains why he's teaching in parables. Today's parables are a little less cryptic and a little more obvious, so um, should be pretty straightforward. But if you have that question about why, why does Jesus teach in parables, to, this Sunday is the last uh, Sunday that Jesus is teaching in parables for a while, and then um, later on in Matthew, we'll see some more. So today we're going to look at three parables in our passage Two really short ones, and then one longer one. We're going to spend the majority of our time on the first two. And these two describe truths about the kingdom of heaven. So let's read this morning from Matthew. We're in Matthew 13, verses 44 through 50. Be up here on the screen. You can follow along in your Bible, or uh, it's in, the, in your worship folder as well. Verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great worth, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea, and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. 
In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and how you reveal yourself to us through your word. Holy Spirit, we pray this morning that you would speak to us. You're the same God that inspired Matthew to write these words down and empowered Jesus to teach and to do his miracles. So we pray you would open our eyes to the truth in your word this morning. Pray that you would encourage us that if we are in Christ, if we have you as our king, let us be encouraged with the truth of being, being a part of the kingdom of heaven and having you as our king. Convict us of sin if we are living, uh, even though we believe this truth, if we're living opposite of that. Pray, Spirit, that you would use me this morning, despite myself, you encourage us as a church. We thank you, Jesus, that you are our king, that you are a king that fought our enemies on our behalf, apart from us, and that if we put our faith in you, we can have victory over those because of what you did. That it's all in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so in our passage this morning, all three of our parables are teaching us about the kingdom of heaven. So before we can even begin, we need to ask, so what, what is the kingdom of of heaven. In Matthew, he chooses to use the phrase kingdom of heaven. In the other gospels, you might see the kingdom of God. Those two phrases are synonymous, and Matthew chooses to use kingdom of heaven for a certain reason. But if, if you see either of those as you're reading the gospels, it means the same thing. So what, what is this kingdom of heaven? What is this, this kingdom that is worth more than anything else? This kingdom that compels people to sell everything that they have just so that they can gain that kingdom. So the Bible teaches a lot about this, and we could spend a lot of time uh, giving a, a very detailed definition. But very simply, an easy way for us to wrap our heads around this concept is the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, is the kingdom where Jesus reigns as king, defeats his people's enemies, and lives with his people. So when we think of a kingdom, we have to have a king, and Jesus, Jesus is the king. So when you're thinking of the kingdom of heaven, Think about Jesus as king and then everything that comes from having a great king. So protection from enemies, the, the defeat of enemies, or provision for life. So in these parables today, Jesus is teaching us and describing what his kingdom is like, what, what characterizes his kingdom. And so if, if you look on the news, if you visited the White House, you would not see Jesus ruling right now. And in one way, he is ruling after the, his death on the cross and his resurrection. He did defeat our enemies, and we do live. The, king, the kingdom of God is right now, but it's, in, uh, it's not in, in, in its fullest extent. And when Jesus returns, he will come and defeat our enemies fully and fully usher in his kingdom. When Jesus began his, in, when Jesus began his ministry, we read earlier in Matthew from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, immediately we did not have complete power over all sin in our life and over the enemy and over death. But it began. It began at that point. At the cross and with his resurrection, Jesus dealt the first deadly blow to our enemies, sin, death, and Satan. But we live in this middle age described as already but not yet. 
So already Jesus' kingdom has come, and it is here. And we do experience many great things because of that, but it's not yet here fully. Wayne Grudem is a a theologian that describes this period that we live in. He says, those who believe in Christ will begin to experience something of what God's final kingdom will be like. So we're beginning to experience what what it will be like when Jesus comes back at his second coming and fully ushers in his kingdom and fully defeats our enemies. So those who believe in Christ will begin to experience something of what God's final kingdom reign will be like. They will know some measure of victory over sin, over demonic oppression, and over disease. They will live in the power of the Holy Spirit, who is the dynamic power of the coming kingdom. Eventually, Jesus will return, and his kingdom will extend over all creation. So when Christ returns again, he will deal the final blow to our enemies and defeat them forever. Then, when he comes back a second time, that's when the kingdom will be fully realized. So this is important for us to know because some of us might think or may uh, be tempted to think that because Jesus defeated our enemies on the cross and defeated death when he rose from the grave, that we shouldn't have any problems in this life. We might think, well, Jesus is our king, and there's, there are people out there that teach that if Jesus is your king, if you have faith, there will be no, uh, you will not have any sickness, you will not have any broken relationships, you will not have any poverty. But that's not true. That will come. That will come when Jesus comes a second time and ushers in his kingdom. But even right now, we do begin to experience some things, some, some foretastes of what Jesus' kingdom is like. We do have reconciliation with each other. We have great unity among the body of Christ. We will see some victory over sin in our lives. Maybe not perfection, but we will see Lots of victory over sin. We might see victory over disease and over broken relationships with each other. And we are reconciled to our God. So that's important, that's important to know so we don't have too, to, either, to either extreme uh, a bad view of, of what Jesus' kingdom is and where we are right now in salvation history. So back to our parables. Today, all three parables have this phrase, is like, in them. The kingdom of heaven is like a hidden treasure, is like a pearl, is like a net. So these are not exact pictures because obviously the kingdom of heaven is not a net. It is not a literal pearl. It is not an actual treasure chest with gold inside of it. But rather these are descriptors of what the kingdom of heaven is like. It is of greatest value. It is worth more than anything in this world. Our first parable today, verse 44, the parable of the hidden treasure The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. It's a little context so we can understand what's going on in this passage. Back in Jesus' day, they did not have banks. So people would hide their their treasure, their their gold, their money. And especially if things like a, a war would happen and people would have to go off to war, they'd have no place to put their wealth and their treasure, so they would bury it. And then if someone happened to die at war or became an exile and never came home, their treasure would be left buried. And so this, this is what happened. This man is going through a field, and he, find, he stumbles upon a treasure. And we see that Jesus describes that in his joy, or another translation says, from joy over it, from joy over finding this treasure, 
he goes and sells all that he has. So his joy compels him to sell everything that he has because of the great, great worth of this treasure. The treasure that he finds is worth everything that he has. And it's worth this incredible sacrifice. What's interesting, too, is that Jesus does not call this man a fool. He does not say, this guy, what a moron. He found something really great, but he gave up everything he had for it, and now he's going to die and starve and get robbed because he gave up everything he had. But instead, Jesus looks at this man and, and also the merchant as examples for us to see how, for us to see and, and live out how great the kingdom of heaven is. As a child, maybe four or five years old at VBS or Sunday school, I remember our, our, our teacher coming out and teaching us these parables. So she pulls out her flannel graph. You know flannel graph, a few of you? Yeah, yeah. Pulls out her flannel graph and puts up some pictures of, of, of a man looking in a field, finding a treasure chest, and then another person looking for this enormous pearl. And even as a four-year-old, even as a, a young, young child, I remember thinking, there's something wrong with this. Like, even if I, as a four-year-old, uh, sold everything I had, all my clothes, my bunk bed, everything in my room, my bike, and got the greatest toy ever, or the greatest game ever, or the greatest bicycle ever, soon it would wear out, or I would get bored with it, and eventually I would, you know, I'd be, I'd, I'd die, or I'd be in a really hard situation without protection, without a home, without food, without money to do, to do anything. So even as a young child, I realized how crazy this is that this person sees something of great value but then gives up everything for it. But that's the point. That's what Jesus is saying. Even someone giving up every single thing that they have, every single thing that they have for the kingdom, in order to gain the kingdom, they're in a better place than they were before. So in both of our parables today, or the first two parables, we see that the, the response of the merchant and the man, once they see this thing of greatest value, they sell everything that they have. So what exactly, what exactly does this mean? What does it mean for us to sell everything that we have in order to gain the kingdom? Well, obviously, it doesn't mean we literally need to sell every single item that we have, every possession, because... Jesus' disciples don't do that. And, and there's the, the point of these parables is to show the great, great worth of the kingdom. And so how can this look? It can look many different ways. One of the, one of the ways, we're, or we're going to look at three ways that we've already seen in Matthew. This can look a million different ways. We're going to look at three ways that, that Jesus has taught about earlier. The first is to value the gospel and kingdom things over money, security, and material possessions. We read a few months ago in Matthew 6, Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we need to value the gospel and kingdom things instead of spending all of our time and our energy and our money towards our home, towards our cars, towards our clothing, towards our social status, towards our savings and security. A second way that we can follow this man's example is by serving Jesus as our master rather than money 
or wealth? So a great question that we can ask ourselves right now and ask yourself throughout your life is what is, what is your goal in life? Is it the American dream? Have you been fooled into believing the lie that our ultimate goal needs to be the American dream of health and wealth, comfort, security? that we will put all of our time, our money, our energy into, and when we get there, we're happy? Or is our life goal making Jesus famous? Making our king famous and by making disciples and serving his church? Matthew 6, Jesus taught, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So Jesus is for sure talking about being generous with our finances, being generous with our money and our wealth that he has given us. But it's much more than just being generous with our money. But it's also being generous with our time, with our energy, with our treasures. Serving Jesus as our master, Jesus as our king, rather than our own comfort, rather than our own time, our own security. So like I said, a million ways that this can look. But a few of those ways are raise your kids well. Stop spending so much time at work trying to make more and more money so you can feel more, and se- more secure, more comfortable at the expense of spending time with your kids, raising them well, discipling them well. It can also look like serving your spouse well, loving them sacrificially, just as Jesus, as the ultimate groom, loves his bride, us, the church can look like building up Jesus' church, whether he's called you to Hiawatha Church or another local church. It means dying, dying to yourself and not worrying about, or not, not letting comfort be your God and be your master, and getting up early when it's not fun on your day off to come and gather with God's people, or get up even earlier and to come and to serve. Or when you're really tired after a long, hard day of work or, or being with the kids, choosing to go to a community group or to have other people over, whether it's unbelievers you know that God's put in your life or people here from Hiawatha. It can also look like sharing the gospel with those that don't know it. Instead of working really hard through your lunch so that you can move up the corporate ladder or working long hours and missing any conversation or relationship with your coworkers, could mean instead of those things, you choose to build up your relationships with your coworkers. You go to happy hours afterwards. You go to their kids' birthday parties. You bring them Christmas cookies. In order that, you build up relationships with them and are able to share the gospel, which might come at the expense of you moving up the corporate ladder because you're not putting in all these extra hours that are demanded in order to, to make wealth and prosperity and money as a goal. Also, serve your city. Serve, serve the poor that are around you, which is a great way to, the, to embody the gospel of Jesus who came to serve us, the spiritually poor. And finally, a third way that we can live as though the kingdom of heaven is our greatest value. Deny your comfort. Deny your agenda, your rights, which is a really high value here in America. Deny your rights and even deny your happiness in order to make your king known and your God glorified. Matthew 10, we read a few weeks ago, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. 
Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So this, this phrase, take up your cross, is, is referring to when Jesus took up his cross as he walked to be crucified, to die on our behalf. So taking up your cross means to die to yourself, to die and give up what you want, your desires, your comfort, your agenda, your rights. And we don't just do these because they're, they're virtues, they're great things to do because we copy Jesus. That's part of it. But the, reason, the main reason that we do all of these things is in order to make our king known, to make his name famous, to help expand his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, rescuing people out of the kingdom of darkness. And so this might look, for some of us, like we don't have many hobbies. We might have a few hobbies every once in a while in order to, to hang out with friends, to have a little fun, in order to, to build relationships with unbelievers. But we, we might not have many hobbies because our time is so short and we value people meeting Jesus more than we value having fun and vegging out and, and having a good time and not thinking about the tough stuff of life. Or it might also look that we deny our comfort, we deny our control in our lives. And like I said, maybe it means sacrificing comfort by choosing to serve people even when we really don't want to or when we're exhausted. It might mean having really awkward conversations with people about the gospel. Or because we're afraid. Going through that, going through that discomfort, because what's more important than our comfort is people meeting Jesus, people meeting their king and submitting to him. And it also might mean giving until it hurts. It might mean giving financially to what God is doing might mean giving of your time, which is sometimes even more valuable than our money. All right, we're going to move on to the next parable. Same message, this parable is about a merchant who's looking for pearls. Same, same goal in this parable, to show that the kingdom of heaven is of greatest value. So in the previous parable, we think that the, the man was a poor man. Because he was working in the field, and more importantly, because he had to sell everything that he owned in order to purchase the field. And we think that the merchant is a rich person because he's able to purchase really valuable stones and pearls. And so we see that not only did it cost the poor person everything that he had in order to gain the kingdom, in order to gain Jesus as his king, but it also cost the rich everything that he had everything that he had. So it cost both the rich and the poor everything. Verse 45, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So this merchant's job, his whole life, He's searching for great pearls to buy, to sell, and then to make a profit out of it. So this, this may be a great descriptor of you. You may be someone who has been searching for a long time, questioning for a long time, wondering who this Jesus is. Is he really who he says he is? What about the Bible? Is it true? Can I believe it? Or maybe you're just checking out Christianity for a long time. And that's great. Since we began as a church seven years ago, we, we've had many people in our church who are still questioning things, who are just checking out Christianity, and that's great. We want to create a place that's safe for you 
to be able to ask these questions, to wrestle with doubt and disbelief at times, to hear about who Jesus is and who he says he is, and that's great. But just like the merchant, if this is you, just like the merchant, take action now. As soon as he saw this pearl of great, great worth, he immediately went home, sold all that he had so that he could get it. He took action right away while the pearl was still there. Today is the day to believe. Don't keep waiting. Just like the merchant didn't. When you see something of greatest value, the greatest thing imaginable, buy it today. No one is guaranteed tomorrow. This pearl, this treasure that Jesus has been talking about, you can have that. It's a promise that Jesus is giving to us. That if you trust in Jesus, if you trust in him as your king and what he did as your king on your behalf, he promises, promises you eternal life with him. Christ died for you, and if you have faith in him, you can be with him in paradise and in eternity for, forever. So all throughout the Gospels, we've been, we've been seeing, and in Matthew, we've been, we've been seeing how Jesus has been teaching that to receive him as king, to receive the kingdom of heaven, it's going to cost you everything. All throughout Jesus' ministry, Jesus, teach, Jesus teaches of the ultimate price that it would cost to make him your king. In Luke, he teaches that people should count the cost before they choose to make him their king. Luke 14, he says, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation, is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. A famous theologian who lived in Germany during uh, the Nazi regime, Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes, When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Matthew 16, we're going to get there in, in a few weeks. Jesus adds some context to this Bonhoeffer quote. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Forever, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? So again, remember, take up, taking up your cross means for us to die to ourselves. See that again. One way we see this often throughout the year when we gather as a church is through baptism. In baptism, it represents uh, a believer dying as he goes under the water, dying with Christ, dying to his old self. And then when he comes up, she comes up out of the water, raising again with Christ. The old person has died. There's a new person there. The Holy Spirit living it and empowering them. So next time you see a, ba a baptism, look for that. Look for that in picture. 
a great picture of, of the gospel and, and the truth of us of dying to our old self and then rising again with Christ. Mars, Mars Hill Church is a church out in Seattle. They have a great description about the cost or of, of, of what it costs to make Jesus your king. Salvation costs you nothing, but discipleship will cost you everything. Salvation occurs in a moment, but discipleship takes a lifetime. Jesus asks whether or not you truly want to live a life of discipleship. If you are a disciple, do not quit. Everything that matters is hard. Everything that matters is costly. So Hiawatha Church, the kingdom of God will cost you everything. Gaining the kingdom of God, making Jesus your king, it will cost you everything, but it's worth it. It is worth it. Jesus has shown us in his teaching, as well as in these parables, that it will cost you everything to follow him and to make him your king, but it's worth it. These men joyfully sell everything that they have in order to receive the kingdom. D.A. Carson, one of the commentators that I read as I studied this passage, writes, the kingdom of heaven is worth infinitely more than the cost of discipleship. It's worth it. And those who know where the treasure lies joyfully abandon everything else to secure it. So we just spent a lot of time talking about how much it costs to become a follower of Christ, how much it's going to cost you to gain the kingdom of heaven, about us having to sell all that we have. But the crazy thing about the Bible is that it tells us that salvation is free. It teaches us that salvation is a free gift from God, graciously given, something that we cannot earn. So if we go back to the parables again, we, we first see that the, both men, the man and the merchant, they find the treasure and the pearl first, and then they go and they sell everything. And that, that order is very important, very important. Salvation first, and then response to that, dying to themselves, sell, sell, selling everything that they have in response to that. So there's a great paradox of the kingdom of heaven. It costs you everything, yet it's free. Isaiah, a prophet from the Old Testament who's prophesying about Jesus, says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. In Titus we read, He saved us. Who saved us? Our king. Our king saved us, his people. Not because of works done in righteousness. So not because we sold everything we had. Not because we died to ourselves. But he saved us because and according to his own mercy. King Jesus paid the infinite price in order to free you from your slavery to sin and to death. And if you just trust in him and what he did as your king on your behalf, you will receive the blessings of having Jesus as your king and being a part of his kingdom. Blessings of the ultimate and final defeat of your enemies, of death and suffering and sin and evil, and spending eternal life with him, with a loving God and a perfect king. Paul, speaking to the church in Ephesians, right? Writes, for by grace you have been saved through faith. 
through faith in what our king has done for us. And this is not your own doing. You're not saved because you denied yourself and took up your cross. You're not saved because you sold everything that you had. This is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So even our good works, even our dying to ourselves, even us selling everything that we have, and even us valuing Christ's kingdom above all is a gift given to us. So we can't even boast about that. All right, so back to our passage today, the third and final parable. Jesus teaches us another truth about his kingdom. I'm not going to spend too much time on this one because it's, it's very similar to a parable Chris preached on a few weeks ago about the parable of the weeds. We'll spend a little bit of time in it. Uh, verse 47, And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In this parable, Jesus says that the net catches fish of every kind, showing us God's great love for all nations, for all people groups, for all ethnicities. That the good news of God is for everyone. For everyone. Here in this parable, Jesus is teaching his disciples about hell and about judgment. Jesus actually teaches more about hell and judgment than anyone else in the Bible. Lots of people like some of the things that Jesus said, some of the things, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, about him being about love and kindness and forgiveness and turning the other cheek. And those for sure are important attributes of who, of who Jesus is. But he's not just a good guy about love and forgiveness. He's also a God that talks about hell and talks about judgment and warns his people against that, warns about people staying their own king and then spending eternity away from him in torment. So Jesus is not just a nice guy who only talks about love and forgiveness. He teaches us in this parable that all will be judged. Everyone's going to die someday and everyone will be judged. The righteous will spend eternity with Jesus. The righteous, the people, just like we read before, it's not, they're not righteous because of the works that they did, but they're righteous because of who they put their faith in. They trusted in their king who went out in battle for them and defeated their enemies while they did nothing. Those are the righteous. And the evil the people who kept themselves on the throne of their life, the people who took Jesus' rightful place as king and stayed king of their own lives, they will spend eternity apart from him in hell as they wanted, staying their own king, staying their own God. So because this last parable is true, because there is an eternity because everyone will die someday and because we will all be judged and that we can have paradise with a good and perfect and loving king 
who wants us to be with him, who loves us unconditionally. Or we can choose to stay our own king and spend eternity apart from him. Because that's true, now it makes total sense why these people, why the merchant and why the man would sell everything to gain that. So in conclusion, what does this mean for us today? First, just like the parable said, sell all that we have. And obviously not literally, we're not talking about literally giving up everything that you have, selling everything that you have. God might call you to sell some of the things you have or to be more generous with your money and your things. Pray, ask the Holy Spirit about what he wants you to do with that. Be open to his leading. Maybe he's convicting us of certain sins or making certain things our ultimate goal in our life. Or remember all those different things that we talked about, about how we can sell all that we sell all that we have. So don't make your money, don't make your possessions, don't make your security, which are all good things, but don't make those king in your life. Make Jesus your king. Second, buy without money. Buy without money. Salvation's free. It's a gift given to you. It's a gracious gift. Jesus paid with his life so that you can have life. So our response is to thank Jesus, thank him that he is a king that gives us his salvation, that gives us his kingship and his kingdom to us as free. And today, buy without money, maybe for the first time. Maybe you have thought that you've had to earn God's pleasure with you. You thought that you had to live a good life and then God would be happy with you and you could earn being a part of his kingdom. So if that's you today, for the first time, buy without money. Come to Jesus and say, I trust in what you did on my behalf. I make you the king of my life. I've done nothing, but I accept who you are and what you've done for me. Or maybe for the millionth time, because you've been forgetting. Maybe you have put yourself or your wealth or your money or security as king in your life. So today, buy without money. And finally, third, demonstrate. Demonstrate to the world, the people that God has put around you. Demonstrate to your church, to your family, to your coworkers, to your neighbors, to your schoolmates, to your friends. Demonstrate to the world that the kingdom of heaven really is the greatest worth in your life. That you'll sacrifice everything in order to make Jesus known to others. And don't boast about it. Even those great things are still a gift for us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for sending your son as our king, for the victory you gave him over our enemies of sin and death and Satan. And we thank you for the cross. We thank you that you are a king that defeated our enemies and we did nothing. We just sat by and we're just recipients of what, what, what you did. Father, it's so hard for me, it's so hard for us to see you and your kingdom as ultimate worth sometimes. We're blinded by this world, by our own sinful flesh, by our fallen nature. So Holy Spirit, change our hearts. Help us to value your kingdom and you as our king and as our God more than anything else. Change our hearts. Pray this in your name, Jesus.
Amen.